0: Now, here's a little story I've got to tell about two bad brothers you know so well. That's us. It started way back in history with me,
1: BC, and my boy, Jimmy. That's me. That's me. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on Thoughts That Rock. It is the podcast that is about exchanging two pieces of life-changing advice. We try and do that in about 30 minutes or so. You know, Jim, I had a little horse named Paul
0: Revere. Did you? I don't know if you knew that or not. I did not. Way back before My Little Pony, mm. My Little Pony was named Paul Revere. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> interesting. It is interesting. I did not know that. Listen, folks, we know how hard it is to get those little nuggets of wisdom for yourself. It's like you're turning over every rock you find. You're searching in your life for that little piece of wisdom that's going to take you to the you know, the, the twilight zone or wherever. I don't know where you're Where do little ponies live? (laughs) Jim, normally I don't drink before the show, but today, um, Vicks Formula 44D has done it for me, and uh, it's gotten rid of my cough, but it has also put me into a la-la land where Paul Revere, my little pony horses, live and Frolic Among the Meadows. So it doesn't really matter what you're doing, whether you are whispering sweet nothings into your lover's ear, or perhaps you're packing a Dora the Explorer backpack, or... Maybe you're trying to find the courage to say hi to that hot barista at Starbucks. I don't know uh, what it is, but we just want to be that 30 minutes that you look forward to each and every week.
1: People are whispering in each other's ear while listening to the show. You know what? We're an aphrodisiac for some people. Interesting. 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 Well, thoughts that rock help support Cannibal Kids Cancer. And uh, I think, you know, if you've listened to the show before, that's an awesome nonprofit focused on providing options to kids with cancer who've been told that they have run out of options. And the cool thing about CKC, they help those individuals identify some innovative options, and then they provide the funding that's necessary for the treatment. And basically, they provide hope to the hopeless. So we, we think these guys rock. Love, love our family at CKC. Just a quick
0: reminder, whatever format you're using to listen to this podcast, if you like the show, we would absolutely love it. And thank you if you would just take a moment, leave us a rating, perhaps give us a review. It's those written comments that help push this show up the charts and get us in front of more eyes, which allows us to support those kids who need us. So thank you for that. So whatever it is that we need to do, I I don't know. You know, oftentimes it's, it's just a, a word of encouragement or whisper in or your lover's a, ear, a whisper in your lover's ear, whatever it takes. This is what we're going to do because when you hear this music, I know
1: what time it is when I you hear do. it. I do. Let me check my watch. It's yep. It's business time. It's completely and totally business time. Let's do it. <laughs> Our guest today is my longtime friend and former colleague, Chris Tomaso, who is the president and CEO of First Watch, which is the uh, daytime cafe. And that is apparently right now the fastest growing breakfast concept in the country. And uh, actually, Brent and I go there quite a bit, honestly. Welcome, Chris, to uh, Thoughts That Rock. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. You got it. Uh, Brand, I've known Chris for, I, I want to say, about 25 years now, back in my hard rock days. And I uh, at that time I was just a training manager. And, and if I remember correctly, Chris was initially just an account executive. It was a pretty big PR agency in Orlando. And I think hard rock was his client, but then he wound up joining the band and, and became head of all global marketing. It was awesome for the entire company, including all of the, the live music initiatives. And I just, I remember thinking how sweet his gig was and getting to hang out with just about every <laughs> rock star that you could think of. I know there's a book in you somewhere, Chris down the road. Um, and then after Hard Rock, he was the uh, chief marketing officer for Cracker Barrel. He did that for several years before ultimately joining First Watch in 2006. And uh, and, and at that time, I think, uh, you know, Chris has led a lot of the strategic initiatives for First Watch, including this massive multi-year rebranding effort into that, you know, the beautiful farm-to-table designs that you now see, Brandt. We've gone in there quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And I think during your time, Chris, and you can correct me if you're wrong, I think when you started, there were something like 50 First, watches, and now you guys are well over 375, and just phenomenal growth posted double digit increases in annualized sales growth. It's just unbelievable what you guys have been able to accomplish. Um, and, and also, Chris winning a lot of uh, industry awards, including being named a top private company CMO in 2012. I think that was by exec rank. And he was also listed in Nation's Restaurant News' power list in two thousand seventeen. So he's kind of a big deal, Brand. So I'm you know. feeling it. He is huge. He <laughs> is. We are thrilled that you're with us, Chris.
2: <laughs> and although I'm thrilled to be here.
1: And and you know, even though I, I know he runs the ship at first watch, you know, as present CEO, but when I think of Chris, I think of two things. One is my alma mater his as well the university of central florida which Brant, you know is the largest university right now in the country back-to-back undefeated college football seasons you yeah, know just yeah. want to mention that but the other thing i think that you guys probably have in common is i i think of chris when it comes to the boston red sox i know he's a huge baseball fan and that's your team right brant that is my team it is what my
0: license plate says Chris, I've uh, I've had the good fortune of actually standing on the mound at uh, at Fenway Park and so cool. uh, grew up my whole life as a lifelong Red Sox fan. Uh, as a matter of fact, we've already got on Angela Robb on <laughs> the first episode that yeah. I was mad she had Joe Tory on as a guest speaker at Leadercast last year and I'm like, how about getting some Red Sox blood up on that <laughs> stage? So yes, li- lifelong Red
1: Sox fan here.
2: All right. Yeah. I Like you already, <laughs> there you and I
1: I see a lot of Facebook pictures with uh, when when Chris gets a chance to take his son up there, and has seen a lot of you know on the road Red Sox uh, games. So that's awesome. So Chris, uh, I know I just I, I rattled off a lot of stuff there, but uh, you know very honored to have you on the show, and uh, we we do things just a little bit differently here, you know, versus that sort of traditional interview style on a lot of these other podcasts we tend to get right to the point and uh, we want to get those pieces of advice that people are are anticipating so i'm going to turn it over to you the floor is open what is your thought
2: that rocks thoughts that rock number 1 my thought that rocks um has, is something that i've held with me for a very long time since i um since it was first uttered to me oh about maybe 16 17 years ago and it's pretty self-explanatory, but um, I think it also has some some deeper meaning. And it's, um, you know, it's it goes like this. It's not your life and it's not your wife. And, um, again, pretty self-explanatory, but it, I think the deeper meaning there is, at least from my perspective, I, I used to, um, I'm type A, um, I also, um, you know, I really care about what I do. And and the results. And I probably took it too far at many points in my early career, where I stressed myself out over things that I really didn't need to do. And, and, you know, what that saying means to me is, you know, it really helps ground you in what's important in your life. And, you know, in in this case, wife um, is a stand in for your family and your loved ones. And your life is your health. And, um, you know, thankfully, I never, um, I, I don't believe I ever did anything that that um, compromise the family part, but I would say that um, early on in my career, I, I did some things that that uh, um, didn't lead me to a healthy lifestyle, and you know, nothing illegal or anything, but just not taking care of myself, yeah. and um, and and then just internalizing so many things, and and the stress that came with you know trying to be perfect, and and really just overthinking things. Now that I look back on my younger self, and so I've held that with me, and I've shared it with a lot of young folks that have. Uh, come to work with and for me uh, since then.
0: Wow! Yeah, I, I love that, Chris. I, I think it's funny for me. You know, when I first when I first was listening, I thought you were going to say sort of the more traditional one that we hear, which is "Happy wife, happy life." But, <laughs> yeah. But in, in reality, what you're talking about here is a matter of perspective, and and oftentimes I, we don't we don't have the benefit of that perspective until we are years with it in our rearview mirror. And I think that's mm-hmm. what you see now uh, and can appreciate more. Uh, even even hearing this now at this day and age with the success that you've had uh, maybe earlier on in your career you you sweated the small stuff and you made little
2: little things big things right of course yeah and and you know that's not it's really even difficult to uh, impart that upon your children or even young professionals at this age it's it's one of those things I think you almost have to experience, and but it's good to have somebody say it to you so that it's always in the back of your mind. But I still think it's um, it's just one of those things where you have to live through it.
1: Yeah, okay. I, I thought when you were, um, it's funny that you say this because I I don't ever think I remember you being stressed out. Maybe you just hit it well, but I think of you now as having such a great quality of life, and maybe that's just because I'm looking at you more o- online and you know, you do a good job of posting personal with your professional pictures out there and mm-hmm. whatever information. And, you know, I don't know. I just, uh, i I'm, I appreciate you sharing that because I think a lot of people would have not known that. And maybe you had to go through those growing pains in your early career, right?
2: Yeah, I think so. And, you know, when I look back and, um, talk to folks that I worked with again earlier in my career, you know, they describe me as being, um, focused mm-hmm. and, I, I also realized that that, that, um, I, I was focused, but it was at the expense of maybe some softer skills, um, back then that I, I, I think I just had, I just had a very low awareness level. My, my EQ wasn't as high as it is now. And, um, you know, there, if we have time today, I, I, I there's some funny stories about times where my stress came through, uh, while I was at hard rock for sure. And one was kind of embarrassing, but, um, You know, it was it always came from a good place of really wanting to do the best possible job I could. It wasn't anything that was meant to be at anyone else's expense or I just felt like I had high expectations that I had to deliver on. And um, I put all that weight on my shoulders. And and that's kind of how it manifested itself.
0: Well, if nothing else, Chris, if it's embarrassing you know, we're all, we're all about the ratings here (laughs) at Thoughts That (laughs) rise. So so funny, funny enough, I was actually going to ask you, can you give us, can you give us an example of, of maybe a time that, that, uh, you realize this now looking back that this, this is exactly what happened you blew something out of
2: proportion or, or
0: you took it the wrong way?
2: Yes. And I've had this particular instance, um, brought up to me a number of times. Of course, everyone laughs about it now, but, um, we, as 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 Jim said, you know, I, I kind of um, led the creation of this this division within Hard Rock called Hard Rock Productions, and and mm-hmm. that kind of spawned out of um, really bringing live music back to Hard Rock. And um, once that kind of to, uh, started to be something that was significantly enhancing the brand, then um, our CEO at the time decided to make a a division and had me lead it called Hard Rock Productions, where we did. Um, I executive produced an MTV special. We did a VH1 series. Uh, We made records and CDs. And, and one of the things we did was host this massive concert two years in a row called Hard Rock Rock Fest. And at the, at the time in 1999, it was the largest attended, highest attended single day music festival ever. Um, you know, you think of Woodstock with that, but that was multi-day. This was one day, 127,000 people. Uh, in the Atlanta Motor Speedway and then we followed that up the next year with one in Chicago and we our headliner for the Chicago one was um Metallica and yep. you know again Jim you said you know how, how great you thought my job was and, and it was at the time of my life that was great working with every artist I could ever imagine that I wanted to work with um, ironically and maybe we'll get to this later it was also one of the reasons why I needed to make a change um, so um Metallica was getting ready to go on and if you've ever been involved in a in a large scale event you know that there's a lot of people with headsets and walkie-talkies and a lot of communication that happens that way we had a we had an agreement with Metallica in their contract where um, we could have a side stage for the IPs and sponsors and things like that. And um, I was walking with the band from their trailer to the stage. And we're just talking, I was just talking and said, you know, don't forget over to the side, there'll be this. And, and James who's the lead singer of Metallica, um, I can't cuss on here, can I, Jim? Yeah, you can. Yeah, you, can, you, can sure. you can do whatever right, you want. All right. Well, he said, there's not going to be anybody on the fucking stage. And I said, well, actually, <laughs> there is. You know, it's in the contract. And he goes, I don't give a shit. He said, if you want us to go up on stage and not disappoint these hundred and whatever, 50,000 people, there's not going to be anybody on the side stage. Whoa. And so... I said, OK, got it. Um, I said, but you really should talk to your manager because they're the one that cut this deal. And by the way, we were paying them seven figures. Yeah. So um, so what happened was they started they got on stage and then I just the the, the leverage shifted to me at that point And I had a lot of responsibilities to deliver. And so I um, I told one of the stage managers to go ahead and let the vips up on the stage i never told any of the vips that there was anything wrong and after after metallica played their first note i said okay let them up on stage and um the stage manager for metallica came over and and tried to stop them from going on and there was a guy that worked for me named brian and he brian was um (laughs) you know he he was great he would run through a brick wall for you and (laughs) So he was there catching all the heat and um, I actually thought we would just slip everybody up there and nobody would say anything and that nobody, no artist would stop a set once they started was, was what I was banking on. Well, anyway, um, he gets on the, the, the walkie talkie and says, um, unknown caller. they're not letting him on. So I wasn't too far away. So I, I ran over there and I thought my microphone was off <laughs> on my headset. And so I'm basically in a, in a, screaming match with Metallica stage manager. And I I dropped a a, a number of choice words. I told them basically in no uncertain terms that, that I was the boss here, that they were working for me. Um, I was paying them. They agreed to this and everybody was hearing all this. And um, all of a sudden I look backstage and I see people like clapping and cheering people that work for hard rock and, you know, giving me fist bumps and I don't don't know what's going on. And then I hear someone say, "Uh, Chris, your microphone's on. Um, Oh my gosh.
1: No way. (laughs) I've never heard that story. That is hilarious.
2: Oh yeah. And I was, I was hot.
1: That, that is hilarious. I love that. I love that. Uh Mm -hmm. Yeah. We need more stories like that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but Rockfest was a success, wasn't it? Uh, Well, it should be in the book, but, but those two years, like all those artists and getting that, I mean, that was, there were other festivals that were going on, but like you said, the number of people that attended and and you did it. I can't remember the one that was in Chicago. They were both at racetracks, right? If I remember. Yeah.
2: Chicago Motor Speedway and Atlanta Motor Speedway were the two that we did. And the headliners in Atlanta were, you know, we had Bare Naked Ladies and Sugar Ray and Tonic and really basically every band that was in on the charts at that time, we got to play for us. And the Chicago one, we, we amped it up, no pun intended, and got Kid Rock and Metallica and Um, Sugar Ray again because they were still on the charts and yeah it was I mean it was a tremendous value for the consumer it was like 50 bucks to see all these bands play full sets it wasn't like 20 minutes they were playing full sets it went from 11 in the morning to 11 at night we basically set up an entire city in there Um, a full-on hard rock you know fully functioning hard rock was on property and the great thing about it was it was the first time we had done anything large scale like that and and it was a, a revenue driver for us. We made money on it, and we were able to turn the the those events into MTV specials, um, and really got the brand out there. So it was a it was it was a self funding and actually money making brand builder for us. It really got us back into the live music and uh, live music game, and um, associating us with more current artists than we had in the past.
1: Yeah, you did forget to mention Vertical Horizon, who at that time I was yes. a fan. You make fun of me for that, but I, I liked them at the time. You remember those guys? Every time
2: him? you say that, I, I envision you singing that song.
1: Uh, no, you don't, and you don't yeah. want to hear that. I'm, I'm
2: gonna,
0: <laughs> I'm gonna edit that out of the show when this is done. <laughs> yeah. Thanks We're not, a lot. we're not gonna admit that 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 was the case. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather he said Barry Manilow. Uh, you know, interesting enough, I think that sort of back to the idea of your thought. When it comes to to rock stars, I mean the the more success you have, the more we sort of uh, find ourselves, I think, at times uh, focusing on the wrong things. And and when you first start, you just you just want to to be successful, so you're willing to put up with a lot more. But when you finally reach the top of the mountain, all of a sudden everything you know the stuff that gets put into riders, and when you look on one side and go, it's not your health, it's not your family. Um, now all of a sudden it's like, look, if we don't have you know, slightly chilled 73 degree tonic water in the green room, we're not going to perform. And, you know, it brings me back to, to uh, Van Halen, right. In the, in the Brown M&Ms and and this story that uh, is often misunderstood. And I hear it uh, referenced a lot as sort of this idea of divas, but the real story of, of that, from my uh, understanding anyways, is, you know, Van Halen and their writer sort of in their heyday, uh, had put in their rider that they wanted to have a jar of M&Ms in the, mm-hmm. in the green room as part of their deal, but they wanted all the brown M&Ms removed. And so people sort of thought that that was just absolutely ridiculous and, mm-hmm. and just the the height of how dare you or abuse of power and all these things. But in reality – Uh, There was a very strategic reason that they had that done. And and the reason was that if they walked in and saw the jar of M&Ms on the table and saw that the brown M&Ms had not been removed, then they knew that whoever was in charge didn't read the Mm rider. And if they didn't read the rider, what else could possibly go wrong? So to your point of if it's not your life, it's not your wife – in this case, it actually jeopardized their health and came to full fruition during a during a concert in Denver. They were playing a college there. They set up their entire stage. Part of what was happening in the stage was the weight requirements needed to put the stage up mm. in this arena. The people... Walked in, there was no brown M&M's. David Lee Roth went crazy, or there was brown M&M's rather. David Lee Mm -hmm. Roth went crazy, does $15,000 worth of damage to the green room, um, going crazy over it. We'll come to find out that stage, as they begin the concert, collapses Mm -hmm. and does millions of dollars in damage, including threatening the health of the band. But the only media was David Lee Roth, does $15,000 worth of damage to the green room as a diva. And yeah. so, you know, we get into these sorts of stories. I think the more success you have, the more we focus on the wrong things and we become less tolerant of those things that uh, you know, on your on your climb up, we find ourselves more willing to deal with. Is that sort of Did you find I mean, listen, you obviously are super successful now. Have you find yourself getting less tolerant of things the more success you have? <laughs>
2: No, I've actually gone the other way um, because uh, just perspective, I guess, um, uh, you know, I think there and I, I feel like there was like just a, a switch that turned in me where um, I don't know, maybe it was when I felt like I, I reached a, a certain level of, of, of success or whatever, where, um, uh, you know, I realized that, that words matter more than I did before. And yep. certainly I've really noticed it um, as my title changed, you know, when I, when I was CMO here, the the day I got the president title, um, I was shocked to see how people acted differently around me. I mean, I had been working here for 11 years as CMO and I, I, you know, made a great relationships. And, but when I, when I got that, that president's title, just, it just comes with it. And so you have to, Yeah, you have to be aware that um, your words, good and bad, have much more impact than they did yesterday. And when I visit restaurants, it it has more impact than it did yesterday. And I found it to be odd because I just look at myself as the same person. But, you know, you you go to a restaurant and, you know, the GM wants to walk you around and introduce you to everybody and you want to do that. I was there, you know, two weeks before I got promoted and nobody wanted me to do that. So um, there's something about that. And then, you know, I Again, when I look back at the time at Hard Rock, the artists that you thought were going to be the ones that were going to make your life miserable typically weren't, yeah. and the ones you thought, ha, you know, have a have a great persona in the public were the ones you really had to deal with. I mean, a really funny story is when we opened Hard Rock Live, which is a, a music venue in Orlando, um, we had Elton John play the grand opening, and you know, he, he talk about somebody known as a diva. As a matter of fact, there was. That documentary had just come out about him called uh, Tantrums and Tiaras, yep. where they followed him around. Yeah, and and I'm not joking. I was a nervous wreck. This was a big VIP event. It was the hottest ticket in town. You got to see Elton John in a little 2,000 s- seat um, venue, and we were raising money for the Elton John AIDS Foundation. So we were a nervous wreck. And his rider is very very specific. And and one of the things that's very specific about is what kind of flowers he wants in his Dressing room. So we made sure everything was was the way he wanted to, because I I just if you watch his documentary, you see he goes up and down hallways just, you know, undressing people verbally. Um, And I mean, I was like, oh, man, this is going to not be a fun night. So long story short, um, he he was there a whole day. We did a lot of press around it. I spent a lot of time with him he was, he was extremely nice and, and just very accommodating. And he's about halfway. He was only supposed to play two hours and he paid, played three and a half. And about halfway through the show, I was up on one of the balconies with his manager and I didn't say anything. And he looks at me, he goes, you know, Elton's had a really, really nice time here. Um, he, he, he wanted me to make sure, uh, I, that I thanked you and your whole team and I said and I, I'd gotten to know him over the years and I said I gotta tell you Howard I said I was a nervous wreck he goes why and I told him about just what I said to you guys and he said listen the only time that happens is when when people don't do what they're supposed to do and it was the same thing about the M&Ms they're like he, and he brought the flowers up. because you guys had the flowers that we asked for. Do you know why we asked for those flowers? It's because they're about the only ones that Elton is not allergic to that has a fragrance that he likes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he says, when we see somebody do the extra step in those type of things, it, that's how. And, and he said, you know, to the contrary, when we come in and it's not right, we know that the whole night's going to have challenges. Just it's almost the same story you just gave. So, I mean, Elton couldn't have been more gracious than he was that night. and um, And I'll never forget it.
0: Well, I think it's it speaks exactly to the tolerance that you have found as you've become more successful. If it tr- mm-hmm. if it truly isn't going to be something that threatens your life or your family or anything like that, then the pain of going the extra distance is often worth it. And and when you when you see that sort of reaction from someone, um, all of that sort of planning and execution that goes into trying to make the perfect experience. Uh, or at least the best experience you can create, all that much more satisfying, which I'm sure is what you want every time somebody walks through the front doors first uh,
2: first watch. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, A, it sets a tone. Um, we go out of our way um, to open the door for people when they're walking in our restaurants. Um, it, actually, if you read our social media reviews, um, that gets called out a lot. And it's such a simple thing, you know, similar to to what you hear about, Chick-fil-A with how they respond to customers. It really is those little things that have now become so rare that help differentiate you and really mean something to the consumer now. It's, it's those things are missing. Um, so it's, it shouldn't be this way, but it's, it's absolutely refreshing when, when something like that happens. So um, yeah, it's, it's no different really.
1: I, I'm just looking back at, uh, you know, again, your thought. And again, I also initially probably heard that as, you know, happy wife, happy life. I totally get where that, that whole mentality is. And I think this is on a much smaller scale for sure. But when I was a staff level trainer, whether it was at Olive Garden or even at Hard Rock, this is before I had any managerial or or head of training Mm -hmm. or any of that. I think I was really intense. I was stressed out. I was, I was a hardcore test giving trainer and it had to be this way or the highway. And then you start to realize when you deal with humans and franchise community and you know, you don't really have any power or influence. It's all about showing people the way. And, and again, for me with impact and influence in my own, I would say leadership maturity, you know it's taken on a, a little bit of a different level when i take on more responsibilities i think to your point you do become a little bit more level headed and you know maybe i th- this is why i love your thought i just think that that one quote has helped you and i think just by you sharing it really helps i think other people cuz maybe you know maybe they're trying to muscle the result they're out there still managing through i don't know Threats or intimidation. punishment or fear and yeah. that stuff doesn't work anymore. And if you're just going to get yourself right. all worked up, you know it's, it's small stuff. And you, you look back and it really isn't—you know—it's not as big as it probably was initially. Which, by the way, is probably a perfect transition to uh, our thought. I hope that uh, you know the one that Brand's going to share with you is pretty complimentary, but we'll take it a little bit in a in a different direction. Brand, what is our what is our thought that rocks? Thoughts that rock number two.
0: Well, our thought that rocks comes from the French philosopher, Michel de Montaigne. Nice. You like that? And uh, the thought is this. My life has been filled with terrible misfortunes, most of which never happened. (laughs) Uh, We absolutely love this thought. Uh, because it says a lot, I think, about perspective, which harkens back to to yours, right? It's about choosing a perspective. And I think so many of us spend so much time worrying about what could happen that we often, pre- you know, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and and we start worrying and worrying and worrying. But, but in reality, a, a fraction of the things that we are worried about actually ever happen to us. But we remember them as being these terrible things that we've lived through and, and survived. But in reality, they get blown out of proportion because those were things that we were worried about and we spent so much time and effort and devoted so much emotional energy towards those things. But in, but when, when you look back now, you go, you know what? It really wasn't that wasn't bad. wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't no. that big of a deal. And and I, it sort of makes me come back to you just curious from your earlier talking about starting the the hard rock, the live music part, you said that there was a part of that, that was one of the main reasons that wanted you to make a change. I was wondering if that you could expand on that a little bit
1: and don't say hard rock beer. Cause that
2: thing is <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, it, it, honestly was, I get uh, it. It's, it was a fantasy world. It's a fantasy world that, that most of these musicians and even a lot of their, um, the folks that that travel around with them, they live in a fantasy world or they don't live in reality. And it just, it, it, it wore on me after a while. You're, you know, you're, you, you just weren't dealing with, for the most part, I don't want to generalize, but you just weren't dealing with, um, uh, genuine people. Um, there were, you, like I said, you're always pleasantly surprised when, when you came across one, but for the most part, um, it wasn't. And I just, that and, and, you know, I, I, we just had children and I was I was almost every night working until two, three in the morning. And yeah, for, on the outside, everybody thought I had the best job in the world. And mm-hmm. I just I just looked fast forward and said, oh, my gosh, I'm going to miss my kids growing up. I was traveling internationally. Um I, The thing that kind of threw me over the edge. And Jim, maybe you remember this is we were opening the Hard Rock Cafe in Rome, Italy. And we had we used to shut down the streets and do these big concerts. And that's what I was yep. responsible for. And we had everything planned for for the Rome opening. And uh, it was during uh, one of the, one of the um, wars that we were dealing with. I forget which one at this time. But um, basically, the embassy was across the street from the hard rock. And they called and said, you can't have your grand opening. And I literally flew there, flew to Rome, Italy from Orlando for a two hour meeting and jumped on a plane and flew back to meet with the embassy and try to convince them to let us have the opening. And they felt it wasn't going to be safe to have that many people in front of the embassy and that type of thing. And I just thought, this is absurd. This yeah. isn't, this is no way to live, but, but yeah, but it was, like I said, for the, for the, it makes it sound like I hated my job. I absolutely loved it. It was the best thing um, ever, you know, and I have so many great memories from it and you know what? I have so many great friendships from it. We I've hired three people now from hard rock here Yeah. um, four, um at first watch. So, you know, um, folks I work closely with there and, and it's been great and you know back to your point about about your thought for the day uh, even today you find people that they can find the silver lining in every or the, the cloud in every silver lining right. it should be the other way around like even when there's good news and progress somehow they'll they'll find the either the thing that the one percent that could go wrong or whatever and they'll they'll focus on that and that just that's not how I choose to have a perspective anymore.
0: Yeah. Well, obviously I think that's the healthier choice, but it's, right. it's, it's one that, you know, I look back and I think even of what you just mentioned about, about living in this fantasy world. So on one, on one side, you've got somebody, uh, the, the quintessential rock star surrounding themselves with their entourage that has created this fantasy world that they live within. And they're, they're pretty detached from, from the rest of us. Right. But on the other side, we got, people who create the opposite sort of fantasy world where everything is against them. Everybody hates them. They're never going to be successful. They're looking at every glasses, you know, half empty they possibly can. So Mm -hmm. uh, part of me, I think uh, one of the questions I want to ask is, is to people listening is what fantasy world are you creating? (laughs) Are you creating either extreme? Are you creating one that just detaches you from society? So, You don't have any real idea of what's happening in the real world. Are you creating this, you know, doom and gloom overview look of your life as well? And and my point is, if those are what you're doing, if you are living in one and removing yourself from reality or living in the other and predicting this future that actually is not going to happen, you are limiting the impact you can have in the real world right now of what's happening. And, and, And oftentimes People do it for years and years and years, and they end up finding five, ten years of their life that disappears because they were living in a fantasy world that, for one reason or another, never came to fruition. And I think that that's something that, um, unfortunately, more than than ever, uh, we see that
2: happening today. Yeah, and I think, you know, I also think people don't think about the impact it has on people around them. It might be a it might be like a, a silent killer but um you know that gets picked up it it permeates and it it actually can become part of a a culture and we've worked really hard here um, to have an incredible culture and you know it, it's it's <laughs> the, the the positivity and then just the overall um teamwork to to achieving the same goal is is you have to talk about it a lot less it's just a lot it's a lot more natural and organic.
1: Yeah, but I think what the good thing about for instance in your position as you have moved up and you have more responsibilities, you get to control that, right? And so these people yeah. that maybe you know to brand your point if somebody's living in a worry filled anticipation of possible setback, it's always doom and gloom or what if, you know, it's sort of like the quote, right, most of which never happened. Yeah, I, I think this world of you know, people that get wrapped up in the rumor mill and the water cooler conversations, and and I, you know, I was probably guilty of this in my early career, but I, I do remember several times where, you know, th- there would be this this rampant discussion in the hallways about, you know, oh, our budget's getting cut, or we're going to buy a concept, mm-hmm. or we're getting bought out, or you're getting fired, or we got to reduce whatever. You know, it's all this stuff, and I think if you live your life with this half-full mentality and this this circle, you know, the sphere of influence that you control your own destiny, how you want to live your life and your attitude and your behaviors and how you keep crushing work and don't get wrapped up in the negativity and what could happen. I think you're so much more, one, positive, but you certainly are going to be way more effective. And, you know, maybe that stuff comes to fruition, but you couldn't have done anything about it anyway. And you post a W out on the other side and you get recognized and you, somebody gives you more responsibilities. That's how you get promoted. So, I mean, I love both of those because I think if you take your thought and you take our thought and put that together, and I think people can mm-hmm. walk out of here with a little bit more, I guess, positive mindset and don't get wrapped up again in the thick of thin things, as we like to say. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah I think it's, a, you know, you find on one side, look, get your perspective right, right? And and uh, I mean, as you've sort of climbed the the corporate ladder Chris, you find yourself now in in uh you know, sort of in this what I like to call the Spider Man role because with with great power comes great responsibility for yourself. <laughs> did you just quote Ben Park? I did. What <laughs> awesome. well, you know what? Here's the thing with Spider Man. A little little sidebar. Uh oh. Growing up as a kid, yeah. I watched Electric Company.
2: Oh yeah, all the time.
0: Remember Electric Company? Sure. Oh
2: yeah, they're the best Spider-Man.
0: Oh man, that was the only reason I watched that show was that Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe Maybe Spider-Man was going to make an appearance, and out of the one out of ten times he actually made the appearance, yeah, (laughs) it was a great day. But but to the point of this is is you find yourself in a role now where you can really influence. Um, how people are going to respond to things like that and if you are painting a doom and gloom or you are creating a sense of urgency out of fear or any of those things you're going to sort of create that culture within the organization but being able now to sort of adjust people's perspectives and and, and if they walk in and go listen there's nothing more important than your health and your family and they know that going up front then no matter what happens at the business that it gives them, it gives them the proper perspective to handle that in stride instead of making it into something that it shouldn't be into this terrible misfortune that actually never happened. Right.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, to, to boil it all down, I want people who work with me um, down the road to feel like their, their life was enriched during the time they worked with me. I I don't want them looking back and and saying that either they lost something or they didn't enjoy it or it it was subtractive. I mean, I want it to be additive in whatever way it makes sense for them. And, and, and you know what people it's different for different people on what, what enriches them and what, what is important to them. And, and the only way you find that out is by getting to know the, the people that you work with.
1: Well, you guys do that. I mean, I know I, I talk a little bit about first watch in, in my book, but I know just in the times that we've been lucky enough to do a little bit of work with you guys. I mean, you've created an environment. I know you've, you've surrounded yourself with some awesome, awesome people, but you know, your leadership just comes through. And I think you've been able to do that and allow people to be themselves. And, you know, I don't think I, I haven't seen any negativity when I'm hanging around anywhere at a first watch, actually, Brant and I were just in Nashville at mm-hmm. your new concept. We just went to sun and fork and oh, yeah. had breakfast over there. And it was fantastic. Great, great people in there. Love yeah, it. Thank you. I think it's a, a big,
0: Kudos to Chris and his leadership, but very closely behind that is their bacon. Right, that that bacon because that <laughs> bacon is—I got to tell you, man—it is—it is something worth waiting for. No matter where you are at, uh, get get into a first watch and order that
1: bacon. But you think it's carb friendly and it's not. It's so good. <laughs> it <is> so <laughs> i don't know good. how much sugar is in that thing, but it is, it is it, right. it's keto friendly. That's yes. right, keto, keto friendly for sure.
2: Yeah, million well, dollar bacon. That's right. Well,
1: since you quoted Ben Parker, Brand, I'm going to quote a good friend of ours, Alan Schaefer. He's got a band called Five Star Iris, and they wrote a song called Daylight. And uh, I remember this phrase, which kind of goes along with our quotes, and it goes like this: If you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Anyone can get lost in the night. Everything looks better in daylight. And I think mm-hmm. us taking this sort of positive mentality, and you know, I know you were sharing, it's not your life, it's not your wife. You know, again, we were talking about if it is the small little things, if it's not the big rocks in our life and we're not making a difference, you know, this stuff is so easy to overcome and get past. So I I just think you've done a phenomenal job in, in doing that. And uh, it's just been a joy for me to, to just watch your career grow. How, um, how can people stay connected with you, Chris? And what, what, what are you working on? I mean, other than sun and fork, you know, and and buying every breakfast concept there is on the planet. (laughs) um, What's what are you guys working on?
2: Um. Well, we're opening just about one restaurant a week right now, um, wow. and um, so we're really focused on people. Um, I try to put it in perspective for everybody here that you know every restaurant that we open, we need three managers. So we need 150 new managers uh, every year. So we've invested heavily in attracting, hiring, training, and retaining just unbelievable talent. And- you know, the the good thing for us is there's not a lot of restaurant companies that are growing these days. And obviously this kind of sounds like a Ben Parker quote, but um, with growth comes opportunity. And some of the best people in our industry recognize that. And, you know, just in the past week, three restaurant companies have filed bankruptcy and closed restaurants and there's more coming and and we feel fortunate that we're still growing. So we're focused on people right now um and and giving them um opportunities to continue to grow their career um at a difficult time when unemployment's so low and, and again there's retail and, and other industries that are challenged. Yeah. So with growth comes opportunity. He gave us two thoughts. He I did. thought we said one. Right? <laughs> right. We said yeah, one but he's given us
1: more than we'll that. take it. Um uh, hey Chris, where can people stay connected to you? I would assume first off we want to drive people to to the website, but um anything yeah. else you want
2: to provide us? Like you want my, MySpace address. Yeah. Uh, that that would, would, be be <laughs> would be awesome. <laughs> um, you know what? I, uh, I love hearing from folks and you know, my, my direct email address is, is fine. I, I try to respond to everybody I can, but it's Tomaso at firstwatch.com and, nice. um, um, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. I do a lot of uh, communication with folks on LinkedIn and, um, yeah, happy to talk to anybody. And I, I actually many times, um, respond on our social media sites. So you, you know, I, I pop up everywhere, but just not all the time. Yeah.
1: Well, you're great, man. And honestly uh, it has been a joy to watch you over these couple decades, just in your career growth and you're running a fantastic organization and uh, it's just, it's fantastic to know you, man. And, and thank you so much for being a guest on thoughts at rock it means a lot. Anything for you guys. I appreciate you inviting me. You're awesome. All take right, buddy. Care. We'll talk to you soon. Rock. All on. right. Take care. Rock on